all the weird things that go through your mind when you step up here. I was thinking, is that square? Is that straight? Are we in the middle? I know somebody's OCD back there is just going crazy right now. It's like, Good morning, church. Thank you very much for leading us in worship. Sarah, thank you for the, the story this morning, for the, leading us to the throne of grace. Doug? Um, I just want to uh, remind you that we are in the process of a series of sermons on the character of God. And our argument is that it is the underlying story of Scripture. That the revelation of the character of God is the underlying story of the entirety of Scripture. That chapter 1 begins with an attack on the character of God. Or not chapter 1, book 1 begins with an attack on the character of God. In Genesis chapter 3, the devil says he can't be trusted. He's not fair. And you should, you should join my side. You should join me. Adam and Eve joined him. Put us into the mess that we're in. And the rest of Scripture from there to the end is a story told to vindicate the character of God. What would the character of God be like in this situation? If the Israelites are rebelling, well, what's the character of God like then? When people are sinning, what's the character of God like that? What is it on a good day and what is it on a bad day? When Israel goes after other gods, what is that like? And it's biography, 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 one story after another after another, telling us who God is and what God's like and how his character finds its working out in the lives of people. And then we get to the New Testament and the ultimate revelation of the character of God in Jesus Christ. The ultimate biography is poured out. Post-New Testament, you and I are left to carry the torch of that biography. The first month we spent together, we talked about finding the character of God's story behind the story as you're reading this year. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about imitating the character of God. How do you start to demonstrate that character of God? How do you take it into your own life? What are some practical processes for being able to imitate the character of God? Scripturally, what is the scripture telling us that we should do? I don't know uh, how many of you... uh, how many of you, maybe I won't ask this, how many of you remembered Valentine's Day last, last week? Good for you, good for you. How many of you remember to bring flowers or candy to your husband? You got some, Craig? No, no, you got to get it. Get it. Dee Dee didn't bring you any flowers or candy? Okay. Gentlemen, don't you think this should be an equal opportunity holiday? Okay, ladies, we're looking for a better, better showing next year. All right? So you got all year to plan for this. We probably don't need the flowers, but we could probably handle the chocolate. All right? There's got to be a solid chocolate heart out there somewhere. Find it. You got a year. In your Valentine experience, it's a weird little holiday because the whole country is told during this day, you have to love your your spouse. 
Well, so once a year, we muster up the strength and the courage to, to be loving toward our spouse or, or our girlfriend or boyfriend. We, we, we muster up this moment. Little girls and little boys get the little Valentines, you know, with my, my, my grandson had one with Tonka trucks on it. If you knew my grandson, you'd know why there were Tonka trucks, because he loves Tonka trucks. We had a great story. I told him the other day I was driving down the freeway. I saw one of his favorite tractors on the back of a truck. There was a John Deere, full-on full green John Deere tractor on the back of the truck. When I told him there was a John Deere on the back of this truck, his eyes got really big. It was a John Deere. How cool is that? And then strapped behind the John Deere, in its own place, in the center of the trailer, carrying this big truck, was the Tonka yellow dump, dump truck, strapped on the back. Oh, I wish I had had the the ability to grab my camera out of my pocket fast enough to get a picture of it for him. Because that's where the Tonka truck belongs. (laughs) You think about all the things that we imitate. A few years ago, it was a common phrase in America to say, I'm going to be like Mike. You know who Mike is? Anybody know who Mike was? Is. Who is it? Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, answer from somebody under 50. I want to be like Mike. Well, what do we want to be like, Mike? Did we really think we could shoot a basketball like that? No, we just were going to wear the shoes to be like Mike, right? We were going to be little imitation Mikes because we had the right shoes. We could pump them up, be like Mike. When I looked at the back of that truck, I had no questions which one of those tools on the back of the truck strapped into its place was going to be used by the farmer. It was clearly going to be the actual John Deere full-on green tractor that was going to be used by the farmer. The Tonka, cute though it was, just an imitation, just a toy, just an imitation of the real. That, my friends, is an imitation. We're talking about imitating. That one's real, but it's not really what you meant last week, was it? No, I don't think any of you got one of those and passed it out. It'd be an interesting experiment. Here, honey, I give you my heart. Well, it'd have to be a plastic one, an imitation. The Bible talks about us imitating God. What does it really expect of us? What are the things that we should be doing? How do we go about this? Are there any practical helps? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So what's the initial standard of behavior for a person who's going to imitate God? Love. Love. I know I often ask you how you're doing, but I won't ask you this morning. I'll just lay it out there and you can think about it. Now that it's in the air, you might be thinking about how you're doing. But I didn't ask. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want to stop and make an important process pause. Process, pause. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Okay? I think this, we, we talk about this all the time, and we work really hard to say this is about awe of God, and that's true. You should be in awe of God, but you should be at least bright enough to be afraid. When I was a kid, I had a certain fear for the bigger kids on my school campus. Now, I didn't go to, a, to an Adventist school, so I didn't have the protection of the Adventist school system. I went to a public school my whole life until I went to college. And so there was always, there was a pecking order on the, on the playground where I was. No matter what age group I was in, whether I was first, second, third grade, whether I was freshman, sophomore, junior in high school, there was always a pecking order. And if you looked around, you could kind of tell what the pecking order was about. You could pick out the guy who was going to give you the trouble. You knew who the bullies were. You knew who the big guys were. You didn't mess with the big guys. You just had enough sense not to mess with the big guys. My friend Glenn Sayers says, don't poke the bull. If you poke the bull, you might get the horn. Understand, you ought to have good enough sense to at least be afraid. Does that make sense to you? If you just took this face value, if you just took this phrase at face value, it would be at least a little bit wise to have some fear when you're dealing with God. Wouldn't it? At least a little bit. It may not, it says it's the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't say it's the end of wisdom. It doesn't even say it's very far down the line in wisdom. It just says, First level, basic level, basement level understanding. Deal with the fact that you're dealing with God and have the good sense to at least be afraid. Can you start there with me? I know this is not the theology that you wanted me to talk about here today, but I'm just, I just want you to get that piece clear. That, that, that You can take that straight at face value. Okay? As long as you understand it's the beginning. As long as you understand it's the beginning it's not intending to, in, to refer to a long-term relationship. It's not intending to, to refer to a well-developed understanding. Here's the second half. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Once you understand who God is, what happens to the fear that was the beginning? Once you understand who God is and you understand the love of God, and you understand the heart of God, what happens to that fear that started the whole story? It gets cast out. Perfect love, the kind of love that God displays, casts out fear. See these as one end and the other end of a paradigm of a relationship with God. At least at the beginning of this relationship, Admit who God is and understand he is God and you are not. Admit that he is greater in the creator and begin to, in that, po- in that moment, say, at least you ought to be smart enough to be afraid. But once you get to know him, once you get to know his heart, his perfect love casts out that fear. Are you walking with me? Okay. So today we're talking about imitations and imitating God. And level one, imitating God, the, it's actually level 5,000. It's the top rung of imitating God is to learn to love like God loves. He who loves is an imitator of God. 
Jesus replied to those who asked, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entirety of the law, all the demands of the prophets are based on those two commandments. Love the Lord your God with everything you have, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your all. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So what are the practical elements of this? What are the basic things you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be absolutely falling in love with God. In a relationship with God where you absolutely... I'm going to talk to you for a minute, Daryl. Where you absolutely love Him. You're actually connected with Him. Okay? Daryl's like the only one on this side in the front. You're connected in this relationship and you really love Him. You're con- you're, you care about what happens. Your relationship is important to you. You give your all toward God. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Love those people who are around you. Practical, simple. How does this thing work? First of all, spend your time focusing on your relationship with God and falling in love with God and treat other people in a loving way. Imitate the character of God by loving God's kids. Imitate the character of God by loving God's kids. You've never looked in the face of any human being who was not a child of God. Imitate the character of God by loving God's kids. How? Owe nothing to anyone, Romans says. Accept your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of law. I like this first statement. Owe nothing to anyone. Owe nothing to anyone. We live in a society where we're used to having debt, right? We have these debts, and we talk about all sorts of things. We're always... We're always hearing about credit card debt. We're hearing about our our mortgage debt. We're hearing about our car debt. He's saying, owe nothing to anyone. I'm not sure that his argument here is about debt, although I think you could argue from Scripture not to have financial debt. I think what he's really talking about is owing into that relationship where you've done something and you owe them an apology. Yeah, you do, do you owe anyone an apology today? Maybe. If you owe someone an apology, what does it do to the relationship? It makes you a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because every time you go into their presence, it's like every time I see Carlene, I feel like I need to apologize. So what do I do? I avoid seeing Carlene. Because I don't want to apologize. Right? If you owe someone something, if you owe them something, doesn't it want to break the relationship? Doesn't it sort of divide you a little bit? If you owe someone something, if you owe something into that relationship, doesn't it divide you a little bit? If you forgot to get flowers. If you forgot to get flowers last week. When you came home on Friday, how'd that work for you? How was the relationship at that moment? Did you feel like you owed something to the relationship? Did the other person feel like you owed something to the relationship? (laughs) Do you understand how this divides a relationship? Do you understand that? We all understand that financially that divides a relationship, but it's also personally it divides a relationship when you owe something into that relationship. The Apostle Paul says, just don't owe anything to anyone. If you need to apologize, apologize. If you need to bring flowers, buy flowers. If you need to set something right, set it right. When Brenda and I are having an argument, I, am, I have a very difficult time with the apology side of life. I don't know what it is. I, I've, I've thought about it. I've tried to figure it out. When I've been the stupid one, which happens occasionally, <laughs> I have a hard time 
getting that apology up and out. It just doesn't work. I just I get really kind of sullen and quiet. And I just don't want to talk. I don't want to I don't want to engage. I don't want to have this conversation. We'll just stop now and I'll walk away. And maybe this apology will appear out of the mist. Maybe God will send it on my behalf. But what does it do to the relationship while I'm in that situation? It stresses that relationship. It divides that relationship. How does loving that one of my neighbors work while I'm in that situation? Have you heard of a book called Crucial Conversations? Crucial Conversation is built on this principle. The argument of the book is that if you have a difficult conversation that you need to have with someone, you should have it. Okay? You already knew that was true, right? The argument, though, is that the reason this conversation is difficult is because you're afraid of the cost to the relationship. You're afraid of the cost of that conversation. If you don't care about the person and you don't like the person, it's much easier to get in their face. Right? If you don't like someone and you need to tell them something that they're not going to like, you don't care. You just lay it out for them. You're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. You get it out and you say it. But when there's a cost relationally to you, we have a difficult time with those conversations because of the cost in the relationship, because you're afraid of that process. You end up owing them this conversation and it strains the relationship. Matthew chapter 5, 44 and 45. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. <sighs> love your neighbor. Okay, I get it. Love my family. I'm in. Love even the guys who are strangers. Love the people I don't know. Love the people in Africa. It's easy because they're way over there. I'm probably never going to run into them. Love my enemies. Now this is the guy who you want to say you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny too. Right? This is the guy you want to unload on. This is the gal who's causing you conflict, who's making you mad, who's irritating you. Love your enemies. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. You know, the sun came up this morning over ISIS. With all the hateful things that they are doing, God did not extract them from the world with a holy vacuum. He did not rain fire down on top of them this morning. The sun came up and their food was provided. And their hearts are still beating. And you and I should be glad. Because the Bible said when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. You see, love my neighbor is a pretty big stretch for me. Shoot, some days love my family is a tough thing for me. Why did you laugh? I was talking about my family, not yours. 
love your enemies. You know how this passage ends? This ends with, and then you will be perfect like your Father in heaven. The implication of this passage is, when you learn to love your enemies, you then become a perfect representation of who God is. Are you feeling the need for a little grace yet? Me too. I'm not done though. I want to I want to say that you have probably met someone who does this love your neighbor thing pretty well. Have you? Somebody come to mind when I say you've met someone who understands how to love their neighbor? Someone comes to mind? Because it's been a long time and it's a faraway place, I used to have an elder named H.R. Not Human Resources. That was his name. He knew how to love his neighbor. He would show up and just do things. Not in that embarrassing way that some people show up and do things. You know, some people show up and they do stuff and you're like, oh, I'm embarrassed that you're here. Please go away. He would show up in the most gentle, kind, approachable way and just do nice things and just be kind to you. Just be kind to the people around you. He spoke with a kind. I I, I wanted to start imitating the way he talked because he kind of whispered at you. He just would keep a very level tone. And he would say, what a wonderful moment it is to see you. I'm so glad to be here with you. I just really appreciate you. And you knew he meant it. You know, some people say, you know, I appreciate you. And you go, yeah, I bet you do. (laughs) You just knew this guy meant it. He would come by and just help you with stuff. Show up when you needed him. Just because he knew you needed him. Kindest, gentlest, most caring imitator of God. The Bible suggests that we not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. So that person who came to your mind may have been your grandmother, maybe your neighbor, maybe the guy at work, maybe your spouse. Perhaps step one would be to do what they do, to practice what they practice. If I could start just being a little more like that guy, or if I, if I could show up with no malice in my heart at Alan's house next time Alan needed something, just because I knew Alan needed something, and I could just show up and do it. No, no expectation of payment, no expectation of anything. Just, hey, I heard you needed a hand. Here I am and go my way. I stay long enough to help and then I leave. I don't stay enough waiting for him to bring me pizza. I just go and I help. And I leave when I'm done. If I could just start imitating the practices of people who I already know do this well, could I be better at it? Now, let me Stop. Do you earn any merit points with God by doing this? Are you sure? Okay. You don't earn any extra merit badges in doing this. You just become a better representative of the character of God. Paul said, and this is bold, 
This is not me. This is Paul. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. It's not a biblical heresy for us to copy people who are getting this right. You want to be like Mike? Nah, be like HR. You want to be like Mike? No, be like that person who came to your mind when you said, I know somebody who does this well. Follow them around. Start walking like they walk. It'll at least maybe catch on. Start talking like they talk. Start imitating them. I used to date someone who who had a false southern accent. Never lived in the south. She just liked the way it sounded. So she just talked like that. And it became how she talked. She just did it so long that it started to become her own. You can practice something and become better at it. Become imitators of people who imitate Christ well. And see if you become a better biography of Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time. Stop. Have they seen him in you? Have they seen him in me? No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been what? Perfected in us. The call of scripture is for us to be kind to one another, loving to one another, caring toward one another. With such obvious process that it becomes clear that God is involved in what we're doing. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now I'm going to stop here for a second and and put this in sort of contemporary context. I have been very frustrated lately by the amount of vitriol I see coming out of church. I have been very frustrated by the amount of attack stuff, hate, anger, you name it, coming out of church. I got a book this week. I got a book this week sent to me. I didn't ask for it. Mailed to me by someone who thinks I need to know more information. And the book was all about how this particular group over here was bad, very bad. And how we should all shun those people because they're very bad. And they're following after a bunch of bad things. Now, the problem for the author of this book is I know those people. I've known some of those people for 30 years. And they're not those people. And I don't think the author of the book knows the people that he's talking about. Because if he did, I don't think he could say what he said about them. Here's what concerns me about this is that this material is getting an audience. 
If it's getting an audience with us, we need to be very careful. If it's getting a, a hearing from you and I, we need to be very careful. Because when someone is spending their time spouting fear and anger and violence towards others, we need to be thoughtful about how we take that in. We need to be very careful. Because as I'm reading the text, it doesn't say spend your life in fear of those who are different. Spend your life in anger toward those who take a different position from you. It's, instead, it, it says, love your neighbor. And if I'm understanding who this book guy is and who he's writing about, he's writing about his neighbor. And it doesn't say even hate your enemy. It says, love your enemy. So if I'm reading the scripture correctly, there should be no audience for this material among us. Right. So when this kind of things get this kind of thing gets written, we probably ought to be able to look at it pretty quickly and say, uh, "Fear, hatred, and anger, mm, not biblical." Fear, hatred, and anger aren't Jesus' characteristics. Fear, hatred, and anger; those aren't the things I'm called to imitate. There are whole groups, there are whole ministries who, spend, who seem to spend most of their time on fear, hatred, and anger. Now, I'm not calling for you to become angry and fearful and hate them. I'm just calling for you to be wise. I'm just calling for you to understand and have a better filter about what you learn and what you take in and what you're willing to read. To be aware that if somebody is promoting those things, they're probably not on a strong biblical found footing. If you want to read it and check it out and see, that's okay. And, that, and that's, that's reasonable. Don't hide your head under the sand. But at the same time, be careful of the people who are out there saying, be, fr- be afraid, be very afraid. Because what I hear from Scripture is that perfect love casts out fear. Amen. What I hear from scripture is that the God of heaven is calling you to stand with him. And when you stand with him, you can stand in assurance that he is walking with you all the way home, that he's not abandoning you halfway there. And he's not going to let some weird theological miscreant come along and divert you away from his path. Stay in your in your scriptures, stay focused on your on your relationship with God Be aware of the real. Be aware of the true. Be aware of the things that God has given to you. And be careful about fear, hatred, and anger as motivation. I can scare you and get you busy for a little while. But it doesn't really make a long-term impact in your life. What will make a long-term impact? Imitating Jesus. Loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, sharing a kind word, knowing that a soft word turns away wrath, knowing that where love is, the biography of God is being displayed, knowing that the believer who displays the love that is in Christ is seen as a disciple of he himself. It's across the church, it's across the newspaper, 
It's across our culture and our society. Let's be different. Let's be different. Let's let the primary characteristic of this group be the love of Christ. And therefore, by the grace of God, covered by the mercy of God, demonstrate the biography of the character of God. Let's pray.